the key conditions for starting your own firm are equal portions of optimism and naivete. Hello, and welcome to Tete a Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and today we have the second part of our alum spotlight interview with Rob Rogers, principal and founder of Rogers Partners. This week's episode focuses on the educational buildings that Rogers Partners does as part of their practice, specifically their new building on Rice's campus, Craft Hall for Social Sciences. We also talked to Rob about the impact Rice had on his architectural career. Let's dive in. Along with the Baltimore School, you've designed a number of educational buildings, including Rice's own Craft Hall for Social Sciences, which opened this February. How did you go about designing the building to serve such a wide range of user groups? Did this have an effect on the form of the building? Craft Hall at Rice is, is interesting. It's got a, a little bit of a long history that we had with Rice developing it. And we went through programming studies twice over quite a few years trying to figure out who's in the building and what are the relationships because the key organizational idea behind the building is to bring together departments that have long been separated for the collaboration and sharing that's fundamental to the academic experience. The other exciting thing is that the building brings a whole series of research institutes like the Kinder Institute and the Boniac Institute, those that are supported by economics and sociology are all together. And so the, the idea of the building was really to build this collaborative hub for the social sciences, but we also had broader university-wide goals, so there's a lot of teaching spaces and academic spaces and university-wide spaces that are all on the ground floor relatively transparent. One of the really interesting things is we did a site analysis to start the project and ruled out several other sites before moving to this one. And if you know not just the history but the future of the campus, there's a proposed north-south axis that would run from where the business school is now all the way out to Main Street. And this is the first building of that new axis. The other thing that guided us was not just the programming and the content of the building, but back to the term context in that sense, but in the very specific one of the Rice University, it was actually the past, the present, and the future of the building because it's going to be on this new quad. We felt that we needed to project a building that was immediately receptive to the structures and spatial organization of the existing academic quadrangles, but also begin to think about what is what are the buildings of the next hundred years that are going to make this new axis that goes all the way out to Maine. And so the building is uh, much denser than a typical. Most of the Rice buildings are two or three stories. They're kind of narrow buildings, at least the original typologies. And this one is four stories. It sits, uses a lot less land. I think the university overall is thinking, how do they grow for the next 100 years? And how do you use your land? And so this begins to give you another way to make those buildings. So we were super excited that this is the first building of that new, kind of a new era in that direction. But Rice is such a specific environment, and not just architecturally, but I believe spatially. 
a lot of people associate the rice vocabulary with the bricks or, or the colonnades or things like that, but I actually think that the character and quality of the campus that you're most aware of and affects you is, is actually the spatial characteristics, and that is the subsets of spaces around the buildings, the way buildings fold back on themselves, or create areas in between, that's really super. The other thing is that there's kind of a, a vertical space. There is the space under the canopy of the live oaks, and then there's the spaces with sky. And so I think that when we were looking at the new building, we were looking at it with those characteristics as much or more than the pitch tile roofs. We did create the building with a base that sort of responds to some of the rice material vocabulary but we wanted spatially to create a bit of a gateway to this new quad so we lifted that northeast corner up and you come into a very carefully tuned courtyard space we did spatial tests of all of basically all the courtyards around the rice campus because there's some that are too narrow people actually feel a little uncomfortable you can see into each other's building across there are places where they're sort of they don't quite close so they, they don't necessarily build the life that they could. Some are not oriented quite right for solar reasons, so that they are only occupiable in shoulder seasons. And so we tried to take all of those lessons and say, you know, can we do a little Goldilocks and, and avoid the too big and the too small and get one that's just right? And so that's the courtyard, which is I think will become one of the major public gathering spaces around the campus as it as it comes to life and the trees come out and the furniture's in place because it's that courtyard's open on both sides but enclosed. I think it's got the kind of ambiguities that give a complex space character because you can use it in so many ways. It's kind of like when I was talking about Sandridge. Can you do those things and, and, and in this case we're trying to solve them within the context and site of a single building. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on the courtyard aspect of the building because I think that is one of the really fantastic moves is that it kind of has some of these moments of the skin and the cladding that do hark back to the original material palettes of rice, but then it kind of opens up and it's very bright and airy. Thinking about that, you were a student here, so we were wondering if having an experience with this campus for the time that you did, did that inform any of the design decisions that you made here? I think for sure, and not that when I was a sophomore in the studio making drawings that I had any idea I'd come back and get to design a building for the campus. But the experience of Rice, both the residential experience and the academic experience, takes place in these spaces that I talked about, whether it's a party space, a sports space, a gathering space, those different kinds of places are really fundamental to the character of life and education at Rice. And so I think that my appreciation for the capacity of the moves that are outside the building to be as formative as the moves of the building itself came kind of intuitively, not necessarily from education at Rice, but intuitively from the experience of Rice and being on and around the campus for, for five years. Thinking a little bit more about that experience, how do you think Rice has first ch or has changed either both Rice architecture as a school and even maybe the greater campus? How that has changed since you received your BRC here? The campus at large has grown and is as you know continues to just become more of a powerhouse nationally, which I think is really terrific. 
the Rice Architecture School is not is actually not much bigger than I was here, and that's always been kind of the real strength of Rice Architecture is that it's small and it's focused and it's intimate and you know every single person in the school. But sometimes it means that the breadth of opportunity at much bigger schools is harder to find. And uh, and I think that's where the expansion of Houston and Texas as one of the most interesting urban environments is really fundamental. Because when I was here, Houston was a lot less interesting, a lot less diverse. And I think that really, if we expanded our conversation at some point to the things that we face as architects at the large scales, dealing with urbanity, dealing with growth, resilience, climate, Houston is right at the forefront, you know? And that is, that makes it an incredibly exciting place. That is very different than when I was here. And people are just more global. You know, your student body comes from everywhere now, and you go everywhere when you finish school. That's much richer, because I think that Rice was still, as an institute, still had a formative number of students that were Texan when I came. I came from Colorado, and I think now that the university's wide open from all over the place. And that and that's made a really super positive change in terms of the university at large and, I think, Rice architecture. Do you think your experience at Rice has shaped your career in a meaningful way, whether as a student or maybe now that you've been more involved as an alumni? So, you know, Anderson Todd was a a really powerful educational force and one of those people that dedicated his entire life to being an educator. You know, most of the time he taught to graduate students, but I ended up with him for one semester. And then later on for thesis, when I was working with Will Kennedy, I just invited Andy to come and be like a co-advisor on my thesis, and that was really terrific. And that's the kind of place Rice was, where you could really invite minds together to help you grow and learn and, and expand. And so in that sense, Rice taught me to think. The preceptorship program, which is really individual to Rice, was amazing. I was incredibly fortunate and went to the office of Pay. And I went early, and I loved it, so I stayed, you know, well beyond the nine-month period. And it was there for completely from June of one year till September of the next. And that changed my life. That changed my worldview. What is architecture? What can architecture be? There's a funny story around that when, I don't know if you guys still, but sophomores make a trip somewhere together as a class. That was the big travel we did as an undergrad way back. Now you guys fly around the world. But we went to the East Coast, and we were out in Washington, D.C., and we were walking around on the mall, and in the fog came up on the East Wing, and it had just opened, and it blew my mind. And uh, I had like, wow, I had no idea that, that architecture could do that. That's incredible. Contemporary, immediate, and my fascination with pay began then. So I had an incredible experience, and it you know, changed my worldview to the point that I went back to Pay's office after I graduated and stayed there for about six years and became a New Yorker. <laughs> and I, I, I love to come back to Rice and even some of my professors, John Kasparian, those guys are around now, it's terrific, that were really rich teachers and are still part of that amazing, amazing tradition. And you talked a little bit about preceptorship already, but your firm actually participates in preceptorship now. So you host a student 
for a year as an intern. So what is your biggest takeaway now that you've participated in both sides of the equation almost? And you get to give some of that mentorship that IMP gave to you back to a student now. We love our rice perceptors. I mean, they come and everybody anticipates each year. And maybe in life you kind of treat people the way you've been treated. And I was so fortunate in my experience at Pay's office to just be treated as one of the employees. It sounds simple, but it's really quite important that you get engaged in the culture of the office. And so at that time at Pay's office, I'm surrounded by 15 different languages, people from all over the world, powerful thinkers and makers. And that's when I said it changed, it changed my worldview, that experience. And what we try to do in our office is bring that person right into the culture and they're a full employee. It's not an intern. It is somebody there who's there to contribute. And I think when you're treated that way, you behave that way. And the difference between preceptorship and other interns, you know, we get somebody from a a university in the South that comes for a week during spring break. We have somebody from another Texas university that comes for six months. And once in a while, we'll have other kinds of interns. But preceptorship, in depth, usually the nine, often a full 12 months, really means that you can be completely engaged in the culture of the office. You can contribute. You get to see the benefits of your contribution and actually understand. Because architecture takes time. And to really understand what the process is like and what the outcome of your decision-making and your production and your contribution, it takes time. And I think the nine months to a year is really rich in that sense. It's not like a summer job. We have a, a great preceptor in the office right now. Probably shouldn't name names, but, you know, I was with her last night before I flew down here, and, and I said, you know, shock me. Show me something that you're not expecting me to like because I wanted her to sort of step up and in, and there's automatic sort of acquiescence in a way, and I think that one of the benefits of coming in when you're this preceptor, since you're not an employee forever, it's also a beautiful time to test and push or expand in those different ways. And so I try and look at preceptorship as a place where a person can really grow their own capacity and then come back and whip out that fifth year. Getting back a little bit to what you kind of talked about, why Rogers Partners is set apart from other architectural practices, you talked a little bit about how you already had a established firm and then you really decided to deliberately reform and think about with a little bit more intention what you would do moving on in the future, which led you to forming Rogers Partners. So what advice would you give to students who would like to start their own firm one day, given that you had these two experiences of the different firms and you really set out to be very deliberate and have some values and intention when you were doing that? Yeah, well, it took a while to learn there. I think that I sort of joke and say the key conditions for starting your your own firm are equal portions of optimism and naivete. And what I guess I would encourage was would be to try and tackle the naivete. So sounds trite. Learn more about business. Understand politics, policies. Earlier on, we spoke about all the things that happen before a building happens. Understand all those things. 
could happen before a building happens. You'll be a better practitioner and more able to guide yourself where you want to go. When I started my own practice, I came out of Pay's office where I had been working on the Louvre and the Bank of China. And then I started doing apartment renovations in Brooklyn. And it was, you know, not only did my cocktail conversation kind of collapse at parties, right, but also how do you translate that ambition and where that wants to go? And I began to get larger projects and grow, grow the office, gain more people, put it around. And I think that, in a sense, easier to say looking back than your question, which looks forward, is the prominence of work in the public realm for me now and the values that carries dates back to my earliest experience at Pay's office and being prepared as a student to take that experience on. And so I think setting out to get some introspection of those around you, or in this case, maybe whoever you did your preceptorship with, if you're talking about a Rice student, talk to them about what it means to run a firm. What does it take? Where do you want to go with it? And how do you want to do? Because I had enormous amount of fun, but I don't know if I was, it was a little ad hoc in the early years, and great, and sometimes lucky, and sometimes not. That for me is when I came to a point and said, I'm going to practice until I die, like every other architect. So what do I actually want to do? And for me, that was kind of a turning point. It was like going to Pay's office, leaving Pay's office, starting again with a level of maturity. And it's been really fun. Well, that sounds like some great advice. And I think our listeners and other students will hopefully take a lot from that. So thank you for being on the podcast today, Rob. Absolutely. Pleasure to talk with you guys. Thank you. For more information on Rogers Partners' work, please visit their website at rogersarchitects.com. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platform to keep up with new releases. This show would not be possible without the work of Siobhan Finley, Jessica LaBarbera, Takudwa Tafuma, Carrie Lee, and Shauna Forney. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and this has been Ted a Ted. Thank you.